Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your life coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can on this program to give you a leg up in this crazy thing we call life. Not just you today. Today, we're going to be giving your children a little boost, a little advance. What we figured out is after raising Skyboy that we found in some cornfield in Iowa, we, uh, we've raised him now to a fine young man. Sky, do you think we've done a great job with you? I don't think you had to do any job. I think I was kind of born as the perfect human being. Perfect specimen. <clears throat> um, okay. <clears throat> Specimen's a good word. Specimen is a great word I didn't, for you. I didn't realize it until, until you just put that together. But what other superhero do we know that's from uh, a Midwestern state and who dealt with cornfields? Yeah. And had a Andrew might know the Gumby. Answer. Uh, well, there's any number, but we'll, we'll go with Superman. Oh, was, wasn't Superman, didn't, didn't his little crystallis, whatever they called it, land rocket? in- Rocket? Was it a rocket? I don't remember. Well, I think the first Capsule time I saw it, it was a crystal. Of that. Yeah. yeah. Didn't it land in a, in a, in a cornfield? That's how it goes down sometimes so, when they tell it. Because here's the deal. So do you raise a superhero or are they born? superhero well that's a frequent debate because well hold on hold on where is this debated andrew well where's that debate taking place when, it's in andrew's mind no no, no 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 so the debate involves alternate realities that they bring up in the comic books oh and andrew. so so what they do is they'll tell a story what if he had landed in communist russia right that's right i've read this one. and and okay. they said sure. he he was raised by the government in communist Russia and, and, you know, this and that happened. Yes. And so a, a frequent debate is whether or not he was inherently good or if the Kents instilled the Kents. just good old-fashioned American values yes. into him. So what? So maybe this is his Americana magnified by his superheroism. So you're saying he was born with superpowers, but he became a hero because of the way he was raised. Technically, he didn't have superpowers on Krypton. He had to come to Earth to get See, them. he had like normal he, powers. He was just genetically inclined that on Earth he would have superpowers. Okay, um, let me just point something out. This conversation is wacky. This conversation this, Andrew, is, is what conversation, I do every day. I know. This is, what we, this is what normal people don't talk about. I write papers on this stuff. Okay, my point. It's messed up. <laughs> and our point today is socially responsible children. Are you saying I'm not socially responsible? I'm asking, does the co- chasing Comic-Con, which just took place in Salt Lake City. That's why I brought that up. And it was a rampant success, apparently. Yeah, huge, apparently, rock and roll. High five Tens Salt Lake of thousands City. of people. Tens of dozens of thousands are going to be there. So what, uh, again, um, so our kids now, they used to, I don't know, join the Peace Corps. Now... They debate if Clark Kent, where he got his... I really think those were always two separate sets of kids. Those kids have always existed. Have they? Were they just the ones that got beat up? Well, I mean, what else were they? They were debating... I don't know what they debated. Well, no, no. See, it's always been the superhero stuff. Now you just see it because of Comic-Con. Peace Corps, much more quiet. Well, we're playing video games. That's just another additive. That's a separate one, though. I I, I had that when I was a child, but I, we were kind of on the cutting edge of that. Tetris, Pong. No, we didn't have Tetris. Well, Pong. Matt, you were you were a teenager in the mid '80s, right? Yeah. So you were there for like Donkey Kong and oh yeah, Zelda, Zelda. And Mario, Mario uh, and, yeah, uh, and the little um, Space Invaders, Space Invaders, Asteroids. 
And Asteroids was another one. Those were good days. Frogger. Frogger. That's where I learned to cross streets. You learned how? Forward, back, back, forward, yeah, forward, back, forward, 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 forward. Oh, oh dead. Spack. Avoid the water, even though you're a Good frog. thing I've got two more lives. <laughs> so that didn't help me become more socially responsible. But see, it's interesting because how do you raise a child to like care about the world and care about the environment? Have them read comic books. <sighs> <laughs> I don't think that's it. I mean, that's probably not the worst way. No, it could be worse. I mean, there's worse. Hey, hey, you, you can watch tell them Superman not to. save the world. You want to save the world. That's true. You see, you see Superman be a reporter. I want to be a reporter. Really? Actually, I think well, technically you are. You have the haircut to some degree. of Superman. Don't to some degree be a that reporter. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's not it's, a career anymore. But see, let's so let's, let's go full circle back to Skyboy. Skyboy only dresses like a superhero. Mm, that's what you think. What do you mean? You don't know what I do at night in downtown uh, Provo. That just gave me the chills. <laughs> Incidentally. That just gave me the chills, maybe, man. Maybe, maybe we should do a show about the real-life superheroes, like Phoenix Jones in Seattle. Or Skyboy. Yeah. You know what? You don't know what I'm talking about. I do, do that you? guy, and he's not real. And if he's real, he's not really doing anything really superheroic. It's all illusion. It, it is average heroic. And he's actually yeah. helping the bad guys because he's a drain on police resources when they have to go deal with him. Instead but no, of he, he cooperates very much like, with the Wouldn't police. it be better to not have your kids all caught up in superheroes and video games and their phone and instead have them working at the homeless shelter? You know what I mean? Wouldn't that teach more social responsibility? You Being a, a scout, for crying out loud. A, a fun statistic uh, these days, they say, and I know because I've reported on this sort of stuff for the morning show. Hold on. Fun statistic. Well, goes supporting you. Okay. Millennials have been the most socially aware and volunteeristic Interesting. generation I think it's because they're unemployed. We Probably. show up at the homeless shelter to eat. <laughs> but, but that's actually interesting. Is that a true statistic? That's something I've come across a I couple of times. I actually they do. Say, but so let's figure out why that's They say millennials are volunteering more, and it's because they are socially aware because they're tapped into the internet 24-7. Okay, so the that's internet may be a good thing. That's a theory. Huh. Maybe it's also because we have Facebook. You see everyone else's life sucks, so yeah. you want to go help them. And you're charitable. Or you see other opportunities because there's a lot of – you get marketed a lot on social things. Well, it is crazy to see how um, social issues spread like wildfire yeah. on any kind of social media. Um, you know, whether they're true or not, anyone that saw the like Coney 2012 video uh-huh. um, in a matter of like three or four days, you yeah. know, it had millions and millions of no, I think that's real. Hits. Don't you think – because like now all of a sudden some little child has cancer – and they have a Facebook page, and their parents are talking about it, and it's out there, and everyone wa- is watching the video. Yeah, it gives it gives a face to the issue, like it gives you something, someone, and something to be concerned about. So that's interesting. So maybe as we sit here on the cusp of the knowledge information age, social responsibility is going to be one of the governing principles. You know what else it is? It's what? in vogue. I believe Bryce can speak to the fact that Reddit loves. Loves loves seeing people do good things. I think, like, thanks to Reddit, it was the the cop in New Reddit York City. Reddit is like an aggregation. It was a, it was a cop in Atlanta. He, he he yeah. He put down. There's a there's a video of him just dealing with stuff, and they made it pretty clear that he was dealing with a lot, and he didn't quite have the equipment to deal with it. One of my favorite ones that Reddit did. There were some kids who. I think we talked about it a little while ago, but there was kids who were in, ho- in the hospital in the, can- the pediatric cancer uh, ward, and they just for fun put up a sign that said, um, like, uh, call, you know, send pizza to room 302. And they sent too many pizzas. 
And they ruined the hospital. Well, and then the guy got (laughs) sick and died of heart disease. No. No, it was a pediatric hospital. So there's this great, you see this this absolutely happy six-year-old sitting on his hospital bed eating a nice piece of pizza and behind him a a stack of about 40 boxes. Isn't this weird? Well, what you see, though, too, is like with with social media in the past, you know, a lot of people have these like good actions that usually go unseen. Yeah. But the fact that now there's a way to capture some of those and then to spread them, it just like like it helps Mm, people to feel like humanity is not so bad But if I'm a parent, should I trust that social media is going to teach my child this? No. No, I don't think you should trust anyone ever with anything, but... But, Is it parents your responsibility to do all that stuff? But here's my question. Is this now with like the pizza boxes, is this the flip side of social responsibility? It's too much awareness for too many people and it's now irresponsible because they ordered too many pizzas. I think uh, on the one hand, yeah. I mean, kids with cancer, that's awful and they brightened their day. But in in the entire scheme of the world, there's more important things that people could be focusing well, on. Well, one of our earlier guests a few weeks ago was saying that what happens with social media is now we 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 press the like button on the Facebook page, and we think we're now socially active because we've done locked it, and now all this. But we ha- we're not actually out acting and doing as much, or maybe even contributing as much financially because we're doing these pretend acts. Well, so but say we actually do. The problem is, are you better off buying one pizza for that neighbor down the street who you should know, who just one pizza would make their day because they're having a bad day, or better off being one of the 25,000 pizzas that's going to the kid in the hospital who really only needed one pizza? If that, yeah. Hmm. I bet a lot of other people in that hospital had pizza that night. (laughs) No, I think in terms of like – I think that, that it's something that works as almost a coping mechanism for a lot of people. Because you go on the news, you see all of these things that are like horrible things that are happening in the world. You look at foreign affairs and it's just awful, awful things. And it's like, well, look at this policeman. He gave a homeless guy a pair of shoes. Yeah. Or, you know, look at this kid's hospital. They got yeah. a bunch of pizzas. And I think it's just a way that people are trying to make themselves feel better about the state of the world. I think you're right. Maybe this is what you do, though. You, you go on Facebook. You point out all those good pictures and stories to your kids. You talk about them. And then you hire a really expensive playtime consultant to start playing with your child, which is what they do in Manhattan, apparently. Um, you've got to get a really expensive consultant to take your child to the park and let them experience social responsibility in the park. Because, hmm. you know, the, the fastest way to learning to care about others is to have somebody else serving you hand and foot all the time. <laughs> Hire somebody else to take your child to do it. Now, another one, though, is so do you guys think richer kids, people, children that come from wealthier families are, are more connected to the social needs of the world or do you think less? No way. I had a sister who went out to Baltimore for an internship and she's around a lot of trust fund kids. Yeah. And the trust fund kids, the school's paid for, the cost of living is paid for. They went shopping. Yeah. The girl's buying $60 jeans, turns to my sister and says, oh, Kate, uh, can you cover me? I forgot my card. And my sister says, no. <laughs> oh, you jerk. And she's trying to explain, no, I, mean, I, I don't have I really can't $60. give you $60 right and, and they were just astounded. Like, wait, yeah. your, your tuition, you go to a state school and your tuition's how much? $3,000, that's it? What are you going to, like a that's baby college? That's my iTunes card. So I think there's a definite disconnect huh. on the high end. If, I've seen a lot of dentist kids you know, go do Operation Smile, and I've seen a lot of 
people go to other countries. And I've seen a lot of people go to other countries just to travel. <laughs> but in the traveling, they see what real poverty looks like that most Americans don't even see. I, hmm. I, in my experience, I, I'm on board with Rob that my peers that uh, have a lot of – have you know money coming out of the wazoo, um, they're, they're not really all that responsible. But the ones that are – have a lot more resources to work with than I do. And uh, so when they do, game on. They're actually yeah. I, they're able to invoke a whole lot more change than I could have. That's interesting, yeah. Well, and I feel like saying that, you know, that that Well, say that, it. Uh, say it <laughs> Don't feel it. That, that wealthy ch- kids like aren't able that aren't as socially aware. I feel like that's a big generalization. Yeah. Like big generalization. Um, cuz you know, like Bryce was saying, there are a lot of kids, a lot of kids that I know that come from pretty wealthy families yeah. and they can make big differences, oh, yeah. like big differences. I mean, for me, you know, it might only work for me to make dinner for my roommate or to, you know, smile at someone or to do some tiny thing, but they yep. can actually go out and start big projects. Um, I had a roommate who was like super involved because he came from a wealthier family building wells in like Africa. Right. And I'm like, holy crap, you know, I'm not even capable of doing that. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's, it goes it, both ways. I, I totally agree. And I think what we're going to find out is um, in the end, it's probably more about what are your goals because we have the rich, we have the poor. But in reality, um, what we kind of need is empathy and we need some understanding and we need a little selflessness. So here's the topic of the day. How do we teach this selflessness to our children? How do we teach our children to be a little um, more giving, let's say, a little less... Um, hmm, snotty. Can I use that word? A little Scott less word? gimme. A little, little less gimme, gimme, gimme. How do we, like we did, like we as a radio show, we took a beaten down, bruised, warped little redheaded pup named Skyboy, and we turned him into the most giving, loving. Into perfection, essentially. Nearly. <laughs> Nearly perfect, except for when he opens his mouth. Okay. A perfect presence, but not a perfect voice? Yeah. I'm talking more behind the voice. His voice is fine. It's just what he says. No, so Sky, that's what we're going to figure out. We're going to, you're our role model. Okay. We're, I'm you're, the, I'm you're the standard. You're our poster child. Okay. For, um, Socially irresponsible children made good. You think I was socially irresponsible? Your mom has called me this guy. <laughs> I've seen I still the don't pictures. believe this. I've what, seen what pictures? The animals that you picked up off of the ground that were hit by vehicles that you put on a poor, beautiful girl's doorstep. She as wasn't a joke. poor. A rich, <laughs> beautiful girl's doorstep. Which, which I don't know if we've pointed it out before, but that's what cats do to people that they love. Yeah. So cats really, bring in the bird. Yeah, it was All a sign of a affection. cat brings a dead carnage of a bird in and drops it, was, it at your feet. It was like, look at me. Aren't you proud of me? Whenever my cat brings a, a dead mouse into our driveway, it's like, look what With I did. larvae, larvae, <laughs> just gyrating through Such the carcass. Such a gross <laughs> image. Okay, so that's where we, that's how we turned you. You know what? Everyone got a good this, laugh out okay. of that, do you and now it's producing radio content for you. I was great. thinking in the future. Do you remember? Do you remember when your family called you in after that event? And my three family, more. My family didn't know about that. Shh. Hey. Okay. Shush. Yes, I remember when that happened. <laughs> do you remember though? They then all gathered as a family. 
and they had this thing that in that in Spanish we call un intervención. Okay. Or una probably. Intervención. And they had an intervention for you. Don't you remember? And yes. the therapists were there. And do yeah. you remember and the ambulance was out there? Yeah. And do you remember they put you in that funny jacket and tied your hands behind your back? I remember that. Then they brought you to us. Do you remember? Yeah. And then we fixed you. And you took off my funny jacket. And we put on that unitard that yep. you now wear. <laughs> That's how you make a socially responsible child. So because of all of this, we have decided to share our knowledge with you. And we're going to actually bring on an expert, believe it or not. Bryce is going to come and teach us a little bit um, about the costs of being out of touch with reality. You know, it could kill you. It totally could kill you and your friends. We're also going to be uh, reviewing some work by Dr. Michael Unger, the book, The We Generation, Raising Socially Responsible Kids. We're going to give you some tools to make sure your children are connected to the real world and also connected with their heart to the, the needs of other people that, uh, that share this great earth with us. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to get into all of this. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Social Responsibility 101 is the is the lesson of the day. How to teach your children to be more socially responsible. Again, uh, thanks to um, the Hanson family who lent us their messed up, twerked, twerk something different. I'm just today, a science it? experiment. The tweet. great you do tweet. Yeah, no, tw- yeah, that doesn't work. Yeah, either. it's kind of um, quirky, quirky, jacked, jacked, jacked. Uh, son. <laughs> And they let us raise him from a pup, and now Sky, is a, he's a great human being, and, uh, you know, he's almost normal. We're getting there. Well, I think I've passed normal. I've exceeded normal. I'm better than normal. So I'm almost he's, normal on the other side like of good. the spectrum. No, see, he's like super normal. But that's super the kind normal. of self-talk you need. You keep doing Paranormal? that. Paranormal? Para? Yeah. Abby, Normal. Great lady. Um, <laughs> was, that, was that a young Frankenstein joke? I think it was. Oh, goodness. Um... Here's the deal. Our own Bryce Tobin uh, is with us now. By the way, very socially responsible. Um, yesterday, he enlightened us to the fact that he has a new girlfriend. Indeed. He likes to call her his squeeze. Felicity. Her name is Felicity. I was going to say Felicidades, but it's Felicity. And he's now uh, going to officially give us her real name on the Matt Townsend Show. Here we go, Bryce. What is her real name. It's Felicity. You know what, Matt? I yeah. do know her real name. And he will not breathe a word of it. I will not breathe a word. Ex- How come unless, everybody knows what Unless. I'll bring you dinner tomorrow. You bring, oh, will, you, will you bring me food? You, take, you get I me like food and I will, okay. I will tell you her real name. Well, how will I know it's the real name? Would I, would I ever lie to you? If I do the scout's honor, okay. I'm not lying. What yeah, is yeah, the price uh, you gotta of use loyalty your hand, to Bryce? Your when you do that. No, it's dinner because then that means I'll get dinner too. So that's a win. <sighs> You guys, and whatever. I could confirm that he's telling the truth. So you, you just want a free meal? Dinner. It's not happening. We all want a free meal tomorrow. It's, that's all anyone for tomorrow's wants in show. World. I'm buying lunch. Whoever's at tomorrow's show. Yes. Yeah. I'm not going to be there, Matt. Tomorrow is a great social responsibility opportunity because this we're is like be, the third time we're doing taking everyone shot. else out to know, dinner, but, but me. You just never show. This will be like. Well, this is a live shot. We're doing a live I think show you tomorrow. Plan these from a a, a, a a an event called What a Woman Wants. And there's going to be thousands of women there, and it's going to be a fun show. So make sure you join us tomorrow. And um, Sky, if you're not there, then, you know, 
Just rain that. check, and I'll give you that name. Okay. It's not that hard. We'll do that for sure. Now, back to you, Bryce Tobin. Uh, apparently, you have put together a little ditty for us about um, the the costs of being socially connected. Some people think they're important, and I don't really know if we all are. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. Please allow me to share with you the story of a guy named Ignaz Simmelweis. Iggy, as I'll call him, worked as a physician in a maternity ward in the 1840s. I can't imagine what that was like. All reports suggest that the worst thing to be in the 1800s was a baby, because anything and everything killed you. But Iggy started noticing something. Disease seemed to follow doctors from patient to patient. Being a good scientist, he figured that the doctors must have been carrying something. So Iggy started developing some liquid solutions for the doctors to use. In short, Iggy was starting to figure out what were, and he found that just washing your hands pretty much solved the problem. He found that mortality rates dropped from as high as 35% to below 1% just having doctors wash their hands. So what happened when he took this to the scientific community? He got up and said, hey, want to save more babies? Just wash your hands. And then the scientific community responded, Iggy, do you have the audacity to suggest that the almighty and highly educated doctors of this world are dirty and should wash their hands? That's balderdash. Quick, have him committed. And they did. And Iggy died in an asylum after being beaten by the guards just because he wanted to save babies. And then do you want to know what happened after that? Millions of babies died just because a bunch of hoity-toity doctors were offended by Iggy saying their dirty hands were getting people sick. Thankfully, Louis Pasteur and Joseph Lister showed up with more evidence to back up germ theory and make it clear that doctors were not special, and they were no cleaner than anyone else. These doctors thought they were somehow above the rest of the world and decided not to contribute. And so as far as I can tell, the only way to remedy this kind of behavior is to get back in touch with reality. The universe does not revolve around anyone. You are one person out of seven billion, on one planet out of eight, orbiting one star out of the 200 billion in this galaxy in a universe made up of about 125 billion galaxies. Galaxies. You are incredibly insignificant. And once you come to terms with this, you'll start to realize that the little inconveniences that happen are no personal slight, only the result of millions of random occurrences that all happen to line up in just the wrong way in that moment and would have occurred regardless of your existence. But for that to be true, the opposite must also be true. And indeed it is. You didn't get all green lights all the way home because you matter or because you were nice to someone this morning. It just happened. And once you come to terms with this idea, you'll realize that we're all stuck in this life together. We can delude ourselves into thinking we're somehow important and do nothing for this world, or you can get down in the muck and start helping the rest of us. You can get down on your hands and knees and start making something that'll improve everyone else's lives. But if you're only thinking about yourself, you're no better than those doctors. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. I felt a different energy on this one. You grabbed that bull by the horns and you rode it. We, I don't... I, we aren't, I don't, I, we think we matter. We aren't all that. We are not all that. That's a good way to say it. It's probably an improper way to say it, but it's, we think we're the bomb. Yeah. And we're not the bomb. We're just the rubble. We're, we're dust in a lot of ways. Do you know? You don't know that until you lose everything. Then you kind of realize, you know, you're, it's pretty fragile. Right. That's one way to teach social responsibility is just to allow the chaos in once in a while. So let, let your kid get a bunch of toys and then one day let them all break. That's, that's one way. Or just let the housing bubble collapse. Oh, Booms. look at that. Yeah. It happened. You know what? That's a really, I think that was a really cool point because again, you think the doctors know everything, right? Doctors, they're there to save people. You know what? Don't call their hands dirty. Don't go to a doctor that doesn't wash his hands though. That's a great point. I don't know if that was your point, but it's one not to forget. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, We're going to take a break. We're coming back. We're talking about socially responsible children, raising children that are socially responsible. Wouldn't that be great? Hopefully we can make them, uh, instill in them, maybe a little bit better word, um, a little, uh, I don't know, a little bit more charity towards others, a little bit more compassion, a little bit more understanding. Let's instill that and let's instill uh, what Skyboy needs most, that he also has to be responsible to get his own meals every day. Because every time in the show, he just sits here and tells me how hungry he is. Uh, This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking social responsibility. And your children will be getting into it with uh, Dr. Michael Unger right after this break. This is the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we're taking on social responsibility, trying to give you some tools, some ideas on how to raise a generation that is socially responsible. What's the key? What's the key to getting your children uh, more focused on being socially, uh, you know, outwardly focused in, in helping society and helping the community in understanding uh, the ability and the power that they have as individuals to give and to help other people. There's got to be a trick to it, right? Uh, video games may not be the way, only way, right? Um, Facebook, social media may not be the only way. It's interesting to me that we sit in the first um, time in the history of mankind when our children have access to pretty much anything they want to know. Any information, any data they want, they're going to be able to get it. And is that going to demand that we have other skills, other tools? I believe it is. And I believe one of the big keys that's going to happen to us, the more we become connected and globally integrated, is we're going to have to become more socially responsible. Now, to me, that's just, you know, if you want to have a successful life, you got to be responsible for yourself anyway. Uh, uh, i.e. Skyboy, would need to actually bring a meal. Uh, He would actually need to plan ahead, pay for it, consume it, and then he would be nourished. Yes, I could do that. That's just called responsibility. That's what you do. Or you could man up and plan a meal for me and get some service hours in. Yeah. Now, you've been wanting that to happen for how long? As long as I've been working here. How is that working for you? It's not working it's for not. me. It's not. You're hungry. You You're should. hungry every day. You fall asleep on the board. I've, you know, Matt, I've gotten you food before. I'm just waiting for the favor to be returned. Are you? Yeah. Have you? You, you can't deny that. That's true. It's totally true. Well, it's not going to happen because I give my money to charity. This is an act of charity. No, you're just, an, you're just a charitable act is what you are. <laughs> That's different. Um Why am I talking to you? I've got a killer guest coming on. So we're going to bring on Dr. Michael Unger now. (laughs) He is a family therapist and a Killam professor, Killam, K-I-L-L-A-M, professor of social work at Dalhousie University. He also is the author of 11 books, including his first novel, which was called The Social Worker, and We Generation, Raising Socially Responsible Children and Teens. He maintains a family therapy practice in association with Phoenix Youth Programs. He was the recipient of the 2012 Canadian Association of Social Workers National Distinguished Service Award. And he has a blog called Nurturing Resilience, which can be read on Psychology Today's website. 
you've got to also go check out his own website, michaelunger.com. And uh, Dr. Unger, thank you so much for joining us. A real pleasure, Matt. It really is. uh, This, I mean, we sit, really, we're a global world now, right? We're globally interconnected. We have all of this uh, information at our fingertips now. And in a weird way, it seems like we might be connecting or even teaching our children, instead of getting out and connecting more socially and being more socially responsible, it's almost like they might be kind of retracting in. Is that what's happening? Do you see that? Or is that just me and my family? Well, I think it's one of those perceptions. I think you sh- I think most people, certainly uh, us adults, uh, are looking at this next generation, and we're sort of feeling exactly the same, right? That somehow these kids are all with their heads down on their iPods or whatever, and they're, they're texting, and, and they're sort of not connected. But actually, you know, when I actually began to look at this, I didn't find much evidence of that. In oh, fact, what good. I found sort of... I sort of found the opposite. So maybe, I mean, if I looked at the kids themselves, let's start with them. Yeah. What you, I challenge anybody listening, if you have kids, I challenge you to try and organize a party and then challenge your, your kid to do the same. And I can guarantee you can get more people together faster yeah. in your house than you can. Oh, that's, yeah. And, with a, with I mean, one text. With one text. And they're motivated to do it. Yeah. I'm also thinking about... You think about some of the amazing pink shirt campaigns, the anti-bullying. The, mm-hmm. You listen to what your kids are listening to in terms of world music. I mean, if we can you know, do away with the Miley Cyrus videos <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Right. Please anyway. do. Yeah. But, but beyond that, I mean, while that's the downside of all this, um, you know, uh, you also have this an amazing capacity, and I'm seeing kids genuinely want to connect with others. And uh-huh. I think that on issues like... Um, you know, sexism and homophobia and racism. And, you you know, you go yeah. down the list, and I think this next generation might score higher marks than many of the adults I believe in their right. lives. Is, is that why you call them the we generation? Well, that's exactly why I do think that they're the we generation, yeah. that they're on the husk of something. And, and then maybe, I know this is like, you know, I speak to parents, it's kind of like then, I know that this, well, I'm always hesitant to say this, but let's be truthful. Let's say it. Yeah. We're kind of more the me generation. A yeah, little bit. Well, well, we're funny, we don't be, and we don't. Well, well, think about it. We we're the ones building the suburbs, right? I right. mean, we've been the ones who create this urban sprawl, and <laughs> nothing's more isolating, yeah, than that little McMansion on that plot of land, uh, twenty minutes outside the downtown core of a city. I mean, you know, we've. I'm not. I'm not. I was. Yeah. You know, I'm. I'm part of it. I'm not saying I'm above it. I'm not trying to sound snotty here or anything, but. You know, before we sort of, we're always sort of blaming the kids, and we're the ones who have created a, a society where we have drive throughs so you never... <laughs> you don't have to go be, in and socialize. I'm old enough. I mean, I just turned 50, and I can remember, I was living in a small community, a relatively small place, like 30,000 people at the time when drive throughs were getting real popular, and I can remember the... the, the indignation of my neighbors at the time, saying, oh my gosh, if we have a drive through we'll... That's awful because we'll stop chatting to each other every every morning when we try to line yeah. up for our coffee. Yeah. So you know, I'm 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 in, in a very I mean I'm having some fun with this yeah. obviously, but I mean even clinically, if we actually look at kids who are sort of you know really in stressed environments, the one thing I have been able to see whether I'm working with kids who are involved you know institutionalized for addictions or whether they're incarcerated in you know uh, juvenile detention centers or just simply with mental health problems. 
almost to a kid, I would say that they are looking for opportunities to connect. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. They still want those relationships. And they're, I mean, we, you're right. We grew up kind of in the, I'd go to my grandparents, I'm 44, and we would, you know, Sunday nights, you'd gather around the living room, everyone would watch uh, Lawrence Welk, and then <laughs> then everyone would just sit and talk in this community. And that's, I think, what, I guess what we think connecting is. But in the, in the reality is our, our kids are doing a version of that. They're, a lot of them are using a technology, but they're reaching people all over the place. They're having conversations we haven't even had at, our, at the age of 45. They're, they're, they're being introduced to ideas and to concepts. So I'm totally with you. So the me generation, you're kind of you're, – you're saying is it's, it's the healthy it's – the, it's the new healthy reality is this concept of, of being a bigger, brighter we instead of more of a, a little bit more focused me. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, of course, there's lots of things that we as parents can do to cushion the impact of the world that we're, we're giving our kids. I mean, you know, we, we're still the ones who are providing them with a sense of roots and wings. Um, you know, it's kind of things I think about kids needing. I often think of this, you know, these words like roots and wings and an audience mm-hmm. and passion. And, you know, I mean, they, they, they need to know where they're coming from and, and, and you know, engaging with their grandparents and uh, stories of, you know, that, that narrative of, you know, who their family is is still, most kids are really curious to know that. They, but they also want, you know, they want, they want opportunities to travel, to, 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 to meet um, people from, you know, from other places. They, right. they, especially younger kids, they just seem so easy to, you know, dump into a foreign culture somewhere. And, and, and I did this with my own kids. I was very fortunate. My kids have a lot of the, a lot of these ideas, by the way, are, you know, I'm based on my research on resilience all around the world. So I get to go, I don't know, 40 different countries over the last few years mm. and, and really work with people locally to look at what it is that makes kids in tough situations survive. And whether it's in North America or whether it's overseas, I see patterns that in tough situations, kids are often surviving by, by, by doing good deeds for others, by making a contribution. What, I know sometimes we, you know, what we think of as um, child labor, and I'm certainly not promoting it, but kids do derive a sense in some context of, you know, where it's not exploitive. I'm not talking about you know, sexual yeah. exploitation here, but I'm talking about you know, where kids are sometimes just part of the family economy. Boy, they... They, they will say, you know, this is a part of me making a genuine contribution to my family's welfare. Right. And they, they, they take some pride. And then I'm, you know, I come back to North America, and I'm, I'm working clinically with a family who can't get their 10-year-old to set the table um, a couple of nights a week, right, while they're cooking and Don't make and me beat them. you. If you don't set the table, I'm going to have to beat you down. <laughs> Isn't it? But it's interesting. I mean, it doesn't work, of course. No, it doesn't. Right? And then we're wondering why. But so part of what you're saying is, I mean, some cultures actually are fostering a little bit more of, um, I guess it's a lack of self-centeredness. It's kind of more of a cooperative mentality, a we mentality. And, and some of that's just even driven, it sounds like, by um, just the economies, the cultures, the fact that we're going to kind of be intergenerationally living together with family and grandparents and um and do you sense though that we're we're not doing that as much in the U.S.? I I don't I don't think we are. I don't think we're sort of you know asking our kids, you know, rather than the threat, right? You know, saying you you actually have to set the table. I'm kind of more on the other side of this, is saying, look, imagine your kid actually does want a genuine opportunity to contribute to the family welfare, and then invite them to do that. To say, mm-hmm. you know, 
Um, I, I, I'm thinking back to the, I mean, I, I, have, I had my own 10-year-old. My kids are a little bit older now. Um, but when my son was 10, that was that memorable day. You know, I said, look, I've just cooked and cooked and cooked, and I got all the supper ready, and you've got to set the table. And he says, no. And I said to him, well, look, you know, this isn't fair, right? I've just knocked myself out. I'm not going to pay. I, and I, we, I didn't never tow it, tied their allowance to the chores, right? Right. Because I thought that's silly. I said, look, look, this is a contribution to the family. If you don't do this and I don't have more time to do what you need me to do. He says, no, I don't want to set the table. And he just, you know, he just said whatever, no. He procrastinated. Right. And in the time, I said, look, that's fine. You go cook yourself your own meal. You make your own dinner. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he kind of very proudly, like most 10-year-old, would called me on my bluff, goes into the kitchen. I said, you can't use the stove, of course. Makes himself a, uh, some little peanut butter sandwich or whatever, and very proud as punch sits at the dinner table, of course, and says, look, I mean, see, I didn't have to set the table. Yeah. I had to make my own dinner. And this went on for a little while. And, you know, it was funny. The next day when he went to school, I said to him, I said to him, are you going to uh, set the table or not tonight? And he said, no, of course, right? So yeah. that's fine. He went out of the house. That night I made the, his favorite dinner for supper like you know the Perfect. lasagna the smell yeah. the garlic bread yeah. the whole bit right he comes home from school and there's this kind of wafting scent in the house and he's of course basically said that he's opted out of the family that <laughs> night we all eat the lasagna and he also he has to make himself another sandwich love it well you know the third day i just simply said are you going to set the table or are you going to let me are you going to do this as yeah. you're going to participate or you're not going to participate and by that point of course he kind of had Got it. So you're the perfect psychologist, Michael. I mean, that's just not fair. He's he's not evenly matched against you. He's not, is he? I got him. I've been traveling the world by that point. I could have seen <laughs> you, what, what you had him right where you wanted him. But that's that's what you're saying, though, is that um, kids inherently are are willing and wanting to. You just you need to kind of make it instill in them that they have a responsibility. They have responsibility to family, to themselves, to even I guess their community. And start enabling that to happen is what you're saying. And I think sometimes when it, I couldn't have said it better exactly because it's it's like before we sort of blame the kids, right? Maybe we need to back back it up and look at ourselves. So you know when we when we knock ourselves out and we're packing the gear to get our kids out to the soccer pitch or or um, you know out to the piano lessons or whatever we're doing in the after school school routine, right? And we're we're packing up the vans and the SUVs, and we're the ones washing the clothes, and right. we're the ones packing the dinner. And I keep thinking, I've, often parents will say, well, you know, do we over-program our kids? And I say, well, I, I don't know if we over-program or not, but I can sure tell you we're missing an opportunity right. to ask them, to invite them, to participate more in their families and say, you get the gear ready, exactly. you get the lunches ready. You load and, the car. And when the yep. kids... And you, and when they fail, because of course parents always say, "Well, you know, they're never going to get it right." I say, "Yeah, don't you want your eight-year-old to fail? Wouldn't yeah. it be wonderful?" Oh yeah, at least fail See? trying. They're they're trying. That's it. Exactly. Love it. We're talking to Dr. Michael Unger. Great insight into how to get your kids to be more socially responsible. Apparently, one of the ideas is just assume they can do it and start inviting them and educating them and enrolling them to be a part. A responsible part of their own lives. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with uh, Dr. Michael Unger, the author of a great book, The We Generation Raising Socially Responsible Kids. Keep getting some insight on that and how to create more connection and types of healthy connections with our children. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Yeah. 
Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. The Matt Townsend Hoedown music playing, brought to you by Skyboy Hansen and the Western Union Band that he plays in every third Thursday at the Elks Come Lodge. see us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sky, you're a good man. I don't care what they say about you. Hey, interesting thing. We were just sitting here, and in our studio we have uh, glass you can see through. Uh, out to the kind of the open area, the open areas of the building. And all of a sudden I look over and there is a man, I truly believe, I swear, in all honesty, walks by wearing a cape and a red unitard, leotard. He was wearing a, a superhero outfit. Yeah, I'm, tra- I'm training him. Is he in training? Yeah, he's in training. Like for real, that just he walked by and we just saw him. And then we realize, oh, well, on the other side of the building is BYU Television, and there's a wonderful program. If you haven't ever watched it, go look up BYU TV on the dial. It's called Studio C. Awesome show, and they just do comedy sketch. It's like Saturday Night Live, but a cleaner, gentler version. One you'd want your kids to watch, maybe. And anyway, um, so I, I just now got cape, uh, a caped crusader on my mind. Another one, other than Skyboy. We're talking to a wonderful author and expert. Uh, Michael Unger is joining us. Michael um, is the author of the book, The We Generation, Raising Socially Responsible Kids. He, uh, Michael has pretty much done it all. He's, he does a lot of academic research. He's written 11 books. Uh, one book he uh, has written is called The Social Worker, which is a novel. And this new book, The We Generation, Raising Socially Responsible Children and Teens, is we're trying to pick his brain on this because we want him to educate us, Michael, educate us because kids, teens. Now, I have six kids, Michael, and um, love each one of them, love them to death. But you, what you're saying, though, is you kind of have to. Not blame the kids if they're not being more responsible, but maybe as a parent, and don't just blame it even to a generation. Oh, these young kids are, but instead just assume they can and assume they do and will, and then just start almost nudging them, demanding it gently out of them. I I do think that that sort of works. Like, you know, when we actually invite them, and I guess to be fair, we have to give them some roles that they value. I mean, right. kids are just naturally programmed, right? Right from birth, they are sort of naturally programmed to interact with their environment, with us as their parents and, yeah. and their caregivers to, to, you know, to sort of look good to us. So, you know, I'm sure many of us have that experience of that five-year-old climbing up into the, you know, getting into the cooking and mm-hmm. trying to help us make uh, cookies. And, you know, they, they do very, very little except make a bigger mess. But somehow at the end of it all, when the cookies are done, it's kind of like their cookies. Yeah, and they're exactly. real proud. They own so it. Yeah, would say, they own it. There's that, but it's it's that push. They want to be older. They want to know that they are valued. Uh-huh. So you know, and, and there's kind of they 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 kind of go through a very set set of um, ways of thinking about this. We've known this for years about you know depending on you know the, the theory of developmental psychology that you sort of follow. But basically, you know, toddlers do things because mom or dad said. That's what you're supposed to do. So right. that's how they become a bit philanthropic. And then, you know, a little bit later, the, the kids, you know, they're five, seven years old. They can begin to say, well, you know, they just want to help. They just want to get in there because that's what makes them feel a bit older. And then, you know, you get the little, the, you know, the eight, nine, ten years old, and all of a sudden they're saying, you know, I'll help you if you'll help me. They kind of got this yeah. reciprocity thing right. down, don't you? Yeah, right? it's not fair. It's not fair. Then fairness starts to creep out, doesn't there, it? Because their brains are kicking in. Yeah. They can kind of 
sees the world that way. And then I always, I always love that 11 to 12-year-olds who become really about authority. They want the rule set. Mm-hmm. Right? Because now they're old enough that they can impose the rules, right? So, like every time, you know, anyone has yeah. a, like an eleven-year-old and doesn't put their seatbelt on, well, you know, you're going to get called on it right <laughs> away, right. right? Yeah. And you know, and it kind of goes up, um, you know. And then for the t- young teens, it's often more about, hey, look at me, look at what I can do for others. There's a bit of a, a seeking social approval, and that's perfectly fine. I often get parents saying, well, you know, should we notice our kids? And say, yeah, you know, that developmentally, that's where they're at. At that point, they want to say, hey, look at me. So I guess what I'm saying is that when we structure our families and our homes and certainly our schools and communities to give kids some of those moments, yeah. um, most kids will accept our invitation. I mean, there's always a few exceptions, but most kids will accept our invitation and begin to, to, to want some responsibility. It's almost um, like you, de- you actually you just made a perfect case that develop- it's, they're wired developmentally to, to develop responsible responsibility so i mean so every one of those were just different iterations of responsibility at a different age almost you know what i mean and 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 a role of being responsible exactly and then the question is do we create the opportunity so i mean i I must say it's worried me a little bit about some of the ways we've set up our homes and our and our um you know sort of the way we sort of you know we don't let kids often bicycle to school or right. walk to school or do you remember how um, you used to risk life and limb to get to school like i used to <laughs> i could have died i crossed three streets huge streets i could have died and i guess they didn't care they didn't care mike we we care i'm sorry my they, my wife won't let my 13 year old son ride his longboard to school because he crosses two big streets with crossing guards. And I'm like, come on, I, yeah. I almost died. And that's it. If we don't, but that's a whole other thing yeah. about responsibility and keeping our kids overly protected. And uh, the way I've sort of phrased it is, you know, if we keep our kids too safe for their own good, then we're, we're seriously putting them at a disadvantage. But that's, again, it's just all part of this notion that somehow, well, our kids are incompetent. Right. right? They can't somehow make this. You can't. Yeah. You're, like, this is too big for you. It's, yeah, it's like you can't think that when you're going to cross the bigger streets, you pick up your longboard, stop, and then you put it down again. Yeah, like, and wait like, for the lady with the stop sign to walk across the street with you. That's right. He's going to yell at you if you go across <laughs> anyway. But, but also, have you ever looked around people's – I mean, I'm also thinking about just the way people structure their, their homes a little bit. Oh, like, yeah. If the home is so big that when you come home, you don't know if your children, your child's in the home. You, ever, you know that experience? And I was six. I'm sure you don't have that problem. But for a lot of – Smaller families, you know, you come home, you don't necessarily know if the child's there. And, yeah. But think about it from the child's point of view. Do they know, like, is there an opportunity to really connect? I love um, that point. Is, That's huge. Yeah. Like, like, you get uh, sort of swarmed when you come in? Here's, here's an example, not to interrupt, but you said, um, like, in our house, my kids all play these sports. So every afternoon, my wife will go busily get their sports stuff ready and then put it in a pile. And then they go get their pile of stuff on. And then usually inevitably they'll come in and say, I can't find my shoes. And it's like, well, where did you leave them? Last? And then we have that breakdown. But, um, but that's one of those constructs you're talking about um, where we actually even get their pile of stuff ready. And we, we then say, put your stuff on. Like I, my mom left. My, I was a latchkey kid. My yeah. mom had to work. She would basically tell me, hey, today's a football day. I'd pretty much remember right. it. I'd have to go find my stuff. I'd have to make sure it was semi-clean and washed. I'd get my gear on. I'd have to leave at the right time. 
it made me so much more responsible simply because my mom left it to me. I often ask parents exactly the same series, like sort of questions about when they were growing up. People often ask me, well, so when, when should I let my child have some responsibility so they can think more we than me yeah. and all that? And I often say, well, look, just start with yourself. What were you doing at that age? Yeah. And remember, remember how much responsibility perhaps you had. Now, sometimes it was too much, admittedly. Maybe you were cooking on the stove at six, not yeah. recommending I that. I was. Not good. You're not recommending that? <laughs> nope. But, Got burnt. But, yeah. But, yeah, but there was definitely some stuff like, you know, maybe maybe using the washing machine at 10 wasn't yeah. such a bad thing. Not a bad uh, deal. Again, not with, not with everyone's right. clothes because I don't want pink shirts and pink <laughs> everything. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, sometimes there's, there's, there's definitely places that we could be inviting our kids to take much more responsibility. Yeah. Um, and also just shaping their environments. I, uh, I mean, I'm always amazed by, you know, the funny one I always say is, okay, so most fam- many families these days have enough televisions in the house or enough iPads that kids don't need to share a television anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I always say, well, okay, hang on, hang on. Just think back when you were a kid, right? Now, maybe, maybe you didn't even have a remote control. Let's assume you at least had a remote control. Yeah. And then no. you think, well, did you have to negotiate with a sibling uh-huh. the use and time and scheduling of the television. Yep. And if you, if you did, think about all the great lessons that you, you learned that by doing that. Love and then, of course, I always roll forward and think, now, if, think about our children today who are never going to have to negotiate with their, spou- with, their, um, with their siblings to use the remote control to decide what's on television. Right. Now, what kind of spouses are we going to be inflicting on the, <laughs> the, so on true. the other people? A bunch you know, of like, monsters. About your mom. My gosh, how yeah. are they ever going to know how to share? Oh, that's how, such how a good point. How are they going to know? It's, uh, oh, go, you know, we got to take a break. But here's we're going to come back to Michael Unger, the author of the book, The We Generation, Raising Socially Responsible Kids. One thing that I'm, I'm hearing Michael allude to is um, it's one thing to get the responsible side. We also have to get the social side. And uh, it, it, even like he was just describing there, the need to be socially involved enough to know the nuances and to understand a relationship and how to negotiate our relationships responsibly. We're going to come back and talk connections with our kids. What connections do we need to make sure as parents that they're receiving the experiences that they're getting in order to connect to others? This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, what you don't know is when we're away on break and we're coming back and there's that really cool vibe, that great beat that's working. You can hear it back there right now. I'm pounding on the table. And uh, Skyboy laughs because he thinks I don't have rhythm. But what it is, is there's a you delay. You don't have a pulse. Like a, you don't keep I have a good a pulse. beat. I wouldn't be... Not, not musically. Yeah, okay. You have a great beat. What it is, is there's a delay. Ask the engineers. There's a delay between the song hitting your ear and my beat. Okay. I'm just letting you know. Well, sometimes you come in early, so... And it, and it varies. What, it what I'm saying, what I'm you. saying I'm right is your time. beat is not steady. At least Some, I have... At least I'm married. <laughs> I don't know what your problem is. 
Okay, I'm sorry. That that came out a little accusatory. Really? You see no, how no, I just no. jumped right to an insult, though? Yeah. See, this is why we have a psychologist on the phone, Sky. To help with your rhythm? No. Oh, okay. That, you need a mixologist. To help me get married? What do they call a beatologist? Dr. Beat. Dr. Beat. <laughs> We have this expert on the on the phone because we're trying to teach you how to be nicer to me and not make fun of my beat. Okay. Let's hear what he has to say. His name's Dr. Michael Unger, family therapist and a Killam professor of social work at Dalhousie University. We're going to need to make sure I'm pronouncing that right because it sounds more like a drive-by shooting professor. Killam. Killam. It's got to have a different pronunciation. Professor at social work. At Dalhousie University, he's also the author of 11 books, including this book that um, I'm holding in my hand right now, The Social Worker, was his first book. This book's called We Generation, Raising Socially Responsible Children and Teens. He maintains a small family therapy practice in association with the Phoenix Youth Programs, and a really cool award. He was the recipient of the 2012 Canadian Association of Social Workers National Distinguished Service Award, which is a great honor, I'm sure, to him because of his practice. You can find a, a wonderful blog of his, which is how we found him, called Nurturing Resilience, which you can find on Psychology Today's website. And you can also go straight to his website, michaelunger.com, where you can see videos from him. You can see about his upcoming presentations and just, you know, everything that he's doing. So, Dr. Unger, thanks again for joining us again. What a real pleasure, Matt. Isaac Walton Killam. Killam. was a philanthropist, very okay. wealthy philanthropist, and uh, did a lot for hospitals and health care, and he endowed some professorships. There so, you go. Uh, so that's so you're, busy. You are, you're, um, what an honor. You've, you've received quite a, quite a few honors, and because one of the things you work on, which you're hearing more and more about, is this concept of resiliency, which is just a human's ability to withstand life. Is that right? Absolutely. And magnify it's amazing. It, right? And, and, and to do well, it's like an inoculation against future stress, right? Yeah. When we have early experiences. And that was actually how I came across this idea of we generation thinking, mm. was that kids who were taught and modeled by their you know, adults in their life to, to be kinder, gentler, more philanthropic, seem to also have the ability to, you know, when, when, a, when they hit a speed bump later in life and instead of making really bad decisions like, you know, plagiarizing and cheating or getting into more kinds of, you know, self-medication, drugs and yeah. all that kind of stuff, you know, kids who had this kind of foundation provided to them and, and were able to think we also were the ones who were more likely to sort of reach out to others. And, and all of a sudden they had this skill set. They knew that they were valued. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I often think that, you know, while we're, you know, I often, I often ask parents who are struggling with their kids at like 13, 14, say, well, what are you doing to get them ready? I know, you, I know we're very good at protecting our kids and right. sheltering them and not giving them responsibilities and giving them a joyous childhood. But I often say, well, okay, hang on, hang on. You got this kid and maybe in about like three or four years, 36 months, 48 months, you're going to launch this kid into the <laughs> world. And are they, are they going to have everything they need to actually you know, know how to survive for themselves, but also to be a part of their community, to be a good citizen, mm-hmm. um, to be a, someone who votes, who understands um, you know, how the world ticks, to, to, to be curious and, and caring. And, and, and let's face it, all those things we learn because we have a caring adult in our lives who models that for us. I totally um, agree. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you must have seen this with your own kids. Oh, yeah. If you, you know, if you, if you guys ever go out on the the breast cancer walks, and yeah. you, you know, you you're doing the the, you know, you're helping to fundraise, or maybe it's just helping a neighbor who's broken her hip or something like that. And you know, it's where I live, it's shoveling snow for the yeah. neighbor. You know, same here. Kind of those kinds of things. I think send a big message to our kids that you know philanthropy is kind of something that we. And empathy for others is something that actually parents have a huge amount of influence on. Um, I, I mean, kids, of course, will rebel. Sure. They'll kind of push us aside. That's their job. Little, you know, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't kind of get in under the skin as well. Right. And, and, you know, it's not... Have, have you ever had any, anyone uh, come up to you about your kid and say, oh, you have an absolutely lovely, oh, wonderful little child? And, yeah. and, then, and then you kind of look at yourself and say, are you talking to yeah, me? Right. Are you talking about my kids? My kids? My little <laughs> devils? <laughs> no, totally. Yeah. But, but there's something about that, isn't there? Um, you made a great point about this. It's almost like we parent to avoid pain. Like we're, we're parenting to so preserve and protect them. But um, you're saying more parent them um, to magnify talents, to, to be able to connect to others. Parent them not so much out of fear but out of like potential. They have this enormous potential if we would just kind of take the take them out of the incubator a little bit and let them just let them be them a little bit more. Yeah, think about the potential there. I always think about I say well so what kind of product do you want at mm-hmm. age 18? Yeah. I mean, and you got to build it. You, it just doesn't I mean if if your kid has never um navigated a, a street on their own, then do you really want them behind the wheel of a car at 16? Right. You know, if they've never driven their bicycle a little bit in traffic. Uh, we had a son that you know, wouldn't all go. these kinds of things. We had a son that wouldn't order his own food ever. Right. And I'm like, dude, man up. So we'd make him, we'd make him go order for everyone. And it was a, it was a really intense moment. <laughs> but, I mean, it's something as, as simple as letting the risk take place. Um, and then there's this beautiful payoff, it seems like. And I guess, you know, part of it is when you finally see that your child is kind of mirroring true intrinsic social responsibility, um, it's a pretty powerful thing. Because then, then you can at least trust he's okay. He'll be all right. Exactly. He's, he's responsible and, and, enough and he knows how to interact with yeah. others. You've done your job. You've, you've kind of launched someone into the yeah. world who's going to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. And, and I mean, again, a lot of it, there's a lot of very small things that we can do in our homes, our, in our houses. I mean, family pets or, you know, if you have any kind of common thing that you have to all look after, right? I'm always amazed by people who buy a dog or a cat for, or, you know, let's say a dog for, their, for the kids to have some responsibility. Then why are they always the one at 7 a.m. in the morning out there in the field walking the dog? You never see the kid doing it, you know? I know. You never, you never see those. Isn't that kids. true? And it's like my yeah. wife, we, she won't allow us. Like Those are her exact words. I will not allow a dog in this house. All of us want it. All of us want a dog. And she's like, no, nope, I'm not going to allow it because I know who's going to take care of it. And in my mind, I'm like, you're dead right. You are going to take care of it because I would not. I, we'd all love on it. But it, she doesn't have to be the one that takes care of it. We could yep. get these kids waking up at 7 a.m. to go walk that dog. And but, pick, yeah, and but that's more work for us, it. really. That's what it is, is I don't want to get up. But, Matt, that's it, that you just hit the nail on the head there because that's, it, it actually is sometimes more work for us to raise socially responsible kids than it is to just let them slunk, you know, slink off to their rooms mm-hmm. and have no chores and not get their gear ready and, and uh, just kind of be you know, endlessly amused. Um, you know, but there are, it's just not... It's just not a healthy um, uh, thing 
to uh, that you want them. In fact, you know, and around the world, that's just not you know. In tougher places, often kids have a lot of responsibility, and they actually become stronger people. Yeah. Oh, for yeah. it. I love that. Um, I mean, I, I just even by the, around the world's one thing. Just friends that we have that have a farm, their kids are ten times tougher than my kids. My, if we get our kids to go weed the garden with us on a Saturday for an hour and a half, you would think it was the baton, death baton march, yeah. you know. And all of a yeah. sudden, we, we go out and visit friends in, you know, just out where they have an acre of property. And these kids know how to work and they know how to focus. It's amazingly different. And, and that's and, my and parenting. Again, I don't blame uh, it. I don't even blame where we live. I blame yeah. us. And the nice thing is also, you were, you were, sorry, we were talking before, um, that about the connections. Mm-hmm. I mean, those activities are also an opportunity for kids to sort of, you know, dance a little in front of us and show us that they're actually competent. But they're also, you know, it's, it, there's lots of opportunities. I, I, I always hear, you know, if, if we are becoming disconnected with our kids, I think sometimes we have to think about just have we structured our environments um, you know, for instance, do, do we have a, a space in the house that can be left messy? Mm. You know, a creative area, a workshop, a garage, a, a den, something that doesn't have to always, everything doesn't have to always be put away, so that a project space where, you know, often it's a, it's a great one-on-one time between a, an adult and a child. Um, do, 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 do we, um, you know, cook together? Do we, you know, and definitely families that eat together three times a week definitely have all kinds of, it's, it's probably the biggest inoculation against you know, future drug abuse and um, sex, uh, sexual promiscuity and a whole bunch of other really big problems that teenagers get into. You just that sort of reconnecting three or four times a week over over food. I mean, who would think that? Who would think a meal is the great inoculation? But a meal that's connected and consistent creates that space where we can connect. Exactly. I mean, just having common spaces. Uh, the one uh, with younger children, try to avoid that trap of, you know, everyone has to have their own computer or iPad, uh, which kind of causes you to kind of go off into your, your own space. Mm-hmm. And again, I, 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 you know, it's funny. I often want, I often also encounter that when kids have problems, you kind of want to, you want to be there for them. Um, so, you know, is the, is, you know, is, is the kid encouraged to use the computer in a space where where the parents are sort of around, so that you know if something happens, that there's a conversation about it. I'm, I'm not big on net nannies and all these yeah. other kind of you know uh, way. First of all, because most of my 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 two kids could certainly figure their way around oh, yeah. turning those things off. You're the one with the deficit, Dad. They're going to work it. Yeah, you know it. And totally. So I always thought, well, you know, but if something sort of bad happens on Facebook or whatever, then I kind of want to be there in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Say, well, you know, what's going on? Why are you upset? What's, show me what's, you know, what's going on. Let's, let's, let's talk this through. Um, because let's face it, when they're younger, you still have that influence and you can still be a coach. Once they're, you know, mid, mid-teens, they're probably not going to be looking to you for that information. So That's here again, you know, if, if we give them chores, if we have a family pet, if we, you know, just have spaces in our house where everyone is doing their work together. Uh, you know, homework is being done more in the kitchen as opposed to off in some room separate. Um, you know, do, do we all sort of have, op- do we structure our homes so that there's interaction rather than going for the big, big house, the big, big even if the house yeah. is big, even if it is there, still bring, it's up to us as the family, to, uh, the leaders in the family to say, no, no let's do some stuff. Let's, let's kind of coexist in this space. Oh, I love that idea. We actually, um, 
we bought a house. I guess it, I don't know if it's big. I don't know. But our kids were down in the basement. Well, three of them, two of them were down in the basement. And interestingly, we lost them because they would come home and they would just go right to the basement. And they would go hang out in the cool basement, watch the television. And they'd only come up for meals, if that. And when they were leaving, and anyway, a daughter got married, and all of a sudden we decided we're just moving everyone upstairs. And it changed. So we moved everyone literally into probably a quarter of our house. And it changed the entire dynamic. And it changed the, the unity. It changed the camaraderie, the connection. Just simply what you're saying, being in the same space and having to interact and having to share a bathroom instead of having right. three bathrooms. <laughs> and, and, you know, we idealize. We, we earlier were saying, you know, we kind of, you know, let's face it, there's a bit of a lovely uh, uh, American ideology of, you know, that wonderful family back in the 1950s. And, in fact, you know, the average square footage for a home back in the 1950s <laughs> yeah. was around, get this number, 983 square feet. Holy Okay, cow. and in 2005, when, the next, when they did this again, it was 2,434 square feet. Isn't so that telling? Yeah. Like about three times as big, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, so are we, again, I get that we're, I get, I mean, we have the luxury of some, many of us of owning this, and I, I kind of see where we're going but it does come at a cost that, you know, we want our kids to be thinking about their connections to us as their, 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 their caregivers. You know, sometimes we're putting them at a bit of a deficit, and it's not just because we gave them an iPhone. Mm, that's true. No, it's true. I think, I mean, everything. We used to have to share the phone that was connected to the wall, and it had a cord, and you couldn't go farther than 10 feet from the phone. And much us have a private conversation. Do you remember that? So everyone would line up and then get off the phone. I mean, it's just so different. Now kids can just grab their phone. You don't even know they're on a phone. They're just yeah. getting away. You, you know, on a positive note, though, I mean, most, most families I, I work with clinically, I, I will say that, you know, if I can give them a little bit of a chance to say, okay, think back also. This is something I challenge people to do. Think back to a time when things were working well. I mean, everyone yeah. has some good good story, right? That sure. you, you mentioned moving people upstairs. You know, there was some vacation time, there was some dinner, there was some celebration. And I often encourage people to ask themselves, what was happening? Um, what were you thinking and feeling? What was your child doing? What were you doing? And, and, and why was this situation memorable? And then, you know, if you can kind of just for a few minutes think about that, and then can you recreate some of those conditions? Um, I, I'm always surprised that often most families have a almost like a culturally embedded pattern that if they look inside themselves, I mean, it's not going to look the same in my family as theirs, right. you know, another person's family. But, but if you look inside your own family and say, I, you know, I love that party, I love that weekend, I love that evening that we did whatever. Well, you know, it, it takes a bit of planning and thought, but chances are you can actually re- recreate that no matter what kind oh, of yeah. family you're, you're living in. And I love what you're focusing on is kind of the appreciative side, the positive side. A little positive psychology sneaking in there. We're talking with Dr. Michael Unger. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Really love your work, and I have got to have you back on the show. Just as I've been looking through all your other books, we have so much to learn from you. Go check out his website, michaelunger.com, and go check out his book, The We Generation. If you've got a child uh, and you're raising kids in this day and age, The We Generation, Raising Socially Responsible Kids by Dr. Michael Unger. 
It's a must read. We're going to take a break and come back and uh, keep pushing on this a little bit more. I think we're going to go into the news and hear some news stories about uh, our socially responsible children. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking... uh, we're talking socially, raising socially responsible children. And our own Colonel Rob Sanders has been uh, putting together some in-the-news ditties. Is that well, what What about uh, socially responsible adults, too? Uh, can it happen? Being out of touch with reality in the news. We spent a good chunk of today's show talking about kids who are out of touch with reality. Kids grow up into teenagers, and they're out of touch with reality, too. Take this survey of high school graduates. Asking each 18-year-old, how much money do you think you'll be making by the time you're 28? Survey says $90,735 a year. That's about three times the national average for people in that age group. The survey asked how many of them think they'll own a house in 10 years. The answer? 75%. Again, about double reality. How many 18-year-olds think they'll be better off than their parents financially in 10 years? 81% said yes. For anybody who follows the news, you'll know that's really out of touch with reality. Now, to teenagers' credit, it's good to be optimistic. One person responding to the article says, I don't want to live in a country where youth are being told that they have to aim low because reality won't let them achieve their dreams. That said, 90000 a year? Come on! Now, in most day-to-day life, young adults, middle-aged adults, and senior adults all tend to have a good grasp on reality. Except for one area. What is it? Well, let's start with the TV. A reader of a self-help website writes in to say, I get this really weird experience. It happens late at night where I feel like I lose touch with reality. I'm watching TV in a dark room. And after watching for about an hour or so, I get this weird change in my vision. The TV starts to look different. The picture seems to shrink a lot. And all of a sudden, it feels like everything in the room is enlarged in size, and I lose all awareness of scale and how large or small things are. Now, I'm no doctor, but I think the TV in the dark room has something to do with it. In fact, I told Bryce about it. He says, well, the guy just needs to stand up and walk around. Well, to finish up this guy's question, he says, now if I look away or move, my vision returns back to normal and everything seems like reality again. And so you say, okay, well... You know, I'm not that stupid that I disconnect myself from reality like that, but we do. You have a Facebook page? An article in The Atlantic asks the question, is social media making us more lonely? Well, the discussion spun off Atlantic's website onto a different one, and and some of the commentary from readers, well, this guy writes, people don't want to post negative things to Facebook. You don't want to come off as some needy whiner. So now you have 600 people that you're friends with. Well, you're really only friends with 50 of them. They're all ignoring their problems and only posting happy stuff. You're bored, so you're reading through all of it. It's like going to a Christmas party with 600 family members listening to wildly overblown stories made up by unhappy people about stuff I shouldn't care about in the first place. And then I wonder, what's wrong with me? Why isn't my life happy? Another commenter writes, It's so addictive that living in Finland, you'll see two people sitting together, sipping coffee or having lunch, Normally would be talking to each other, but instead they're entirely focused on their phones. 
Another person writes, People can't enjoy a moment anymore without posting it onto Facebook. It's like people can't have an experience without letting other people know they had an experience. We live in this weird new voyeuristic society where it doesn't matter if you have fun. What matters is that other people see you having fun. And that causes people to feel like they're missing out on the party. Which all wraps up into a quote from Albert Einstein. He says, It has become appallingly obvious that our technology has exceeded our humanity. And that's a look at being out of touch in the news. And that quote was before Internet. Well, I was back when he was talking about typewriters. I mean, you know? think of that. Uh, what would he be thinking right now? But, you know, I don't know. He wasn't probably the best socializer on Earth. Well, maybe he would have been really good at Facebook. He used to stay out in the rain. And his wife would say, Albert, come in out of the rain, honey. <laughs> he was a deep thinker. So uh, you, I, I'm getting the sense you don't like Facebook. I, I, I'm you realizing that a lot of the... <laughs> A fake lot of, block. Oh, fake block. Sorry. A lot of the negative aspects of my social life have also roots in Facebook. The mm. same way some positive things do, too. I can get invited to dates. You can go on dates through Facebook. Well, not that many. Not that many through that. You just got It's called creeping. You just got to creep into other people's pages, find somebody you like, and then just start <laughs> creeping them until you get a chance to comment. It's like 50 years ago. That's what just, I do. Hey, what's your number? Is the modern hey, equivalent of that. What are you wearing? That's scary. Is that what you do, Sky? Mm-hmm. That explains a lot. <laughs> We're going to take a break. Coming back with one of my best friends. Uh, her name is Brooke Walker. She's a great gal. If you lived in Utah or anywhere in the Intermountain West, you've probably seen her on TV. She's just the bomb and a good friend that can talk about anything. She's going to give us some insight into uh, raising socially responsible people and, you know, just life in general. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we've been talking about social responsibility and the importance, you know, it is to be, as a parent, to to be modeling social responsibility as a friend, as an aunt, as a brother, to be out there trying to do what we can to get everyone else um, to serve and to see the need. And so as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking to myself, who would be the best person I know who's very socially connected. She knows everyone on this earth um, and also has a huge heart and tons of character. So I decided, you know, who else but Brooke Walker? Brooke Walker is a good friend of mine. She is the host of Studio 5, which is uh, with Brooke Walker, which is a KSL um, television show. Uh, It's a daytime show, one o'clock in the Mountain West uh, time zone. Brooke uh, is heard and listened to by people all through the Intermountain area, and uh, just a good friend. Brooke, are you there? Look how nice you are. Yes, Mr. Townsend. Thank you so much. I, my bill's going to be big. Well, you know what? You to say all of those things. <laughs> well, plus all of our other meetings where we're trying to fix your marriage and stuff. Well, there's that, too. Hey, come nah, on. I'm just kidding. Recently married to a stud. Yes. 
He is a stud. Mark is a stud. Mark's that a total stud. Confirm. But but mm-hmm. you also, this is the deal. Because, see, Rob's kind of dissing on um, Facebook a little bit. But I that's the only way I – well, I see you every Monday on your show. But I get you to do. I get to see your life through Facebook. Here's what I know about you through Facebook. A, Let's hear it. Lots of colorful clothes. <laughs> I do like color, and I do like clothes. So, yes, you're B, right. B, everybody on earth loves your hair. Ooh, I don't know about that. Have you noticed? Everyone comments on your hair. Really? Yeah. Well, you need to read nice. your Facebook page. Maybe it's your Instagram. Because what's funny, I'm a little jealous. I've never had a lot of people comment on my hair. You know what? The key is this shine spray, Matt, and I'm so happy to share with you. <laughs> I will pick you up a bottle. Do you know and what? You can just... <laughs> shine spray. I, yes. I'm good. Get on it. Okay. All I'm right. totally good on that. Um, but uh, here's the other thing about you, Brooklyn. That I know, and I only know it from your Facebook page. Well, and again, you've talked to me about it a bit. Um, and I've met your whole family. But you are the aunt extraordinaire. You're oh, the boy. big sister of all big sisters, meaning you take your, – your mom works. She's a school teacher. Your dad's working. Everyone's out. And so you'll take your daughter, your daughter, your sister, little sister. I, I feel like she's my daughter. Sometimes. No, really. But you take her out. You've brought her under your wing. And you are out there building a relationship with your sister that literally most adult women would not be building with their younger sisters. Oh, that's nice of you. I'm in a unique situation. So my sister, I'm closing in on the big three i I'll just put it out oh there. My, my sister is 12. So we're in a really unique situation where we, we were really spread out. And my yeah. goal when she was born, I like to call her my high school graduation present. <laughs> but my goal when she was born was to not be that big, removed, older sister. So... I've been grateful for all the opportunities that we've had. Well, and I think just knowing your mom, I know she's probably way happy that you're stepping in there too. But you're not even just that way with your little sis, your other sister that I've met. Actually, there's two other sisters, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That you're Four the same. You're just so you're family oriented. So here's what I want to know. Yeah. You work in your 12 year old sissy. I know she has sleeper sleepover slumber parties. I know you take her to go get school clothes. I know you've probably taught her makeup. You taught me makeup. I taught her about shine spray. You taught her about shine spray. <laughs> you you were the first person that taught me about MAC makeup. I know. I changed your life. You changed my life. You told me where to get it at Nordstrom's. <laughs> it was the most awkward, like, two hours of my life. Um, it, was, it wasn't two, two. It was 20 minutes. It felt like two hours. That's more than just powder, Matt. What were you doing at well, that? Well, you know, I had a whole counter. makeover. Okay. I didn't know, but I, they, I, they worked me over. I mean, men on TV, the makeup is essential. But, yeah, I, I try to share this, this knowledge with her okay. and with you. This is what I want to know. What do you – what are the lessons you try to teach? What's your sister's name? Sadie. Sadie the lady. Sadie the lady. What do you try to teach little Sadie the lady about being socially responsible? I think this is a killer topic. And I don't know so much if I'm teaching that to Sadie. I, I try to, but I go back to what my mom taught taught me and taught us. And I think it comes down to, well, you can't pin it down to one thing, but I think one underappreciated element of social responsibility is really the ability for people to give a sincere compliment. Mm. That sounds so simple no, and so huge. basic. But that was one thing growing up that my mom always taught us is to look for something, look for either a need or, you know, an accomplishment or even something as basic. And, and, and trivial as a physical characteristic, something that you can compliment the other person on. Because I think what it does is more than just make someone else feel good. I think it forces you to get out of yourself and to be consciously and constantly looking for something in, a, in someone else that you I can either that. improve upon or recognize. And so that is a, a 
a value that you know she passed along to me that I, I wish more kids would pick up on and more parents would teach their kids is just the value of a sincere compliment. Well, and you have a very unique, um, how do I say this, kind of need for this because in your industry, so and nobody knows this that is, you know, if someone's in Boston and they don't know who Brooke Walker is, then they they don't quite get it. But in your work, you're really way good at what you do. And I'm not blowing smoke because I don't you're blow nice. smoke. Well, no. well. But you're good at what you do, A. But B, you're also, I know, revered by your, your fellow peers. You're great at what you do, like improv and standing up and um, – because it's hard in news and journalism, but that you're filling in on Anchor Desk, plus you have your own show. Now, no smoke blowing. Here's the key, though. It's hard, and this is one thing I struggle with, and I don't have you know, that much experience in this. But when people give you feedback that's unsolicited, which you get all of the time, in, in your world, you're constantly being told what people like about you. And they'll say it on Facebook and mm-hmm. what they don't like about you. Um, when, so then you come here on my show, and I watch your Facebook page, and you're taking it every day. Like, Brick, are you sure you want to do your hair that way? Blankety, blank, blank. Yeah, everyone has an opinion about everything. I know. And you have to take it. And then not to mention the fact that every one of your shows, your employers are watching every statistic and everything, and they're giving you feedback every show. So that all aside, then you come and tell me one of the most important things you think to tell Sadie, the lady, is to give a sincere compliment. That's mm-hmm. full picture. Well, I think I think it does, uh, like I said, a couple of things. It makes that person feel good, sure, that's the obvious. Right. But it also forces you to look outside. And, you know, in the TV studio, and you know this, Matt, you're, you're, you're a cool cucumber. We don't worry about you. But sometimes <laughs> people come into the interview chair, and they are nervous as all get out. Yeah. And, and a lot of times they're putting themselves in a vulnerable position because they're talking about a really sensitive part of their life or right. their story. And, and I'm mindful of that. And I think a compliment calms those nerves and it also soothes kind of the vulnerability of the moment. The other thing I would just say is I think in our society, and I heard, you know, Rob talking about Facebook and how people feel the need to brag about every little thing they do, and it does. It gets so annoying. But I, I think... Facebook also and YouTube and all of these social media channels, they put the focus on sometimes the vocal minority, but the vocal, the people who are out there and putting themselves out there. And I think another thing we can do in addition to those sincere compliments is just to root for the underdog. And that was something, again, I'll go back to my mom. She was an educator, and she saw in the classroom setting, she was my kindergarten teacher, actually. Mm. This is where this started, because in the kindergarten classroom, my mom would see maybe the child who wasn't as socially confident or the child who was struggling academically. And she'd kind of always, you know, subtly nudge me in that direction of yeah. that underdog. And, and throughout her whole life, she would always h- help us identify who is the underdog in the situation and how can you reach out and help. And, and oftentimes in our society, we don't give enough attention to kind of the silent and strong. The people who are out there doing good things might need a little bit of boost and aren't getting the attention of the others that thrust themselves oh, yeah. you know, out into the media spotlight or whatnot. So I'd say root for the underdog, too. Look for That's someone huge. who can use your vote of confidence. And, and that will not only improve their lives, but hopefully improve this you know, social awareness that we're talking about. I love the underdog. Do you? Yeah. That's why I've hired Skyboy to work with me. What is Skyboy the underdog? Skyboy is the dog. <laughs> D-O-G. Over or and underdog. Dog. He is the D-A-W-G. Okay. <laughs> I, I actually, um, I relate to that. And because, again, the, the reality it seems like is the role of underdog will rotate. Yeah, always. Right? We've all been the underdog oh, at yeah. one point or the and, other. And even even if we weren't aware of it. 
Like, I mean, there's sometimes you're, you, you know, people are laughing at you and you don't even, you're just laughing with them because the jokes are funny. But in reality, you may be the underdog. Um, there's something that's so powerful, I think, too, about uh, the sensitivity. Your, your mom, she was good. She was good. She's still she good. It's good. like she was talking about yeah. she's dead. But she's, she, but think of the two things. Give a sincere compliment. And by the way, receive a compliment. Sure. Be gracious and say, say thank you and accept it and absorb it. Are you better at giving a compliment or receiving one? I think women in general are much better about giving the compliment, about yeah. putting it out there. Um, a lot of times it's easy to brush it off. Or I, I don't know. This is, a, this is a female thing. But anyone says, hey, I like your shirt. You feel the need to say, well, it was only $10. Yeah, I bought I it. I found it on sale. Yeah. You, like, talk it away. You know what I mean? But, yeah, I, yeah, I think women are better at giving than Do you know what I would say? Okay, you, you, say, you say that you like my shirt, and I'll answer. I mean, this is radio, so I, I'm actually lying because I can't see you right now. But I do like your shirt, Matt Townsend. And I'm like, oh, you mean this tube top? I'm just kidding. That's not what I'm wearing. But um, I would say thanks. You would just accept it and move yeah. on? Yeah. I mean, it's just something. It's so, so easy for men. I would just say, you know, my wife bought it. That's yeah. pretty much what I would say. But you, you kind of have to turn it into something else. I personally don't always, I don't like compliments as much because I don't think I receive them well. I just feel weird. Accepting it? Yeah. Um, so I'm not so good at that. But back to the rooting for the underdog. Yeah. Um, can you think of a moment? Okay, because this is what else is cool is you've done all these news stories mm-hmm. where you've you you go interview the underdog a mm-hmm. lot. And um, mm-hmm. can you think of a story that you've done where you found a human being that so inspired in you the desire to be a better human being, like as a professional journalist? Yeah. Oh, we do those stories. We do those stories all the time. You have a um, favorite one? Because oh, you, you, have, you do favorite. all of the charity stuff. You go. Yeah. You do the ones did, up at the hospital. We did a story a couple a couple of months ago that really inspired me, and it was it was an organization called Push to the Finish, and it, it was founded by a man named Andrew McMahon, and he had his, his friend had a child with a disability, and Andrew was a runner, and so he was he was particularly struck with um, the limitations that this you know friend's child had couldn't walk couldn't tie up their own shoes. And, and for, a, for a guy who, who's really physical and, and enjoys that type of activity, that was really hard for him to see. So he didn't just stop there, though. He didn't just feel sorry for someone and, and call it good. He actually took it upon himself to form this organization called Push to the Finish. And, and the organization is just remarkable. What they do is they take disabled children who aren't able to walk or run for themselves, and they find a, a runner to oh, sponsor wow. the race. So these runners are pushing these kids you know, on 5Ks, on 10Ks, and they are literally the legs that these children don't have. And I am not a runner, you know, you know me, but in talking with Andrew and all of the other volunteers at this amazing organization, I found myself incredibly inspired. And so I, I, I picked it up with them one morning on a Saturday, Saturday morning race, and I was able to push a little boy by the name of Reese across the finish line. Oh and we didn't, get, we didn't get the amazing you know, finish <laughs> time that, that a lot of other runners were kind of going for, but what we did get is that feeling of, of assistance and of help and of service and you know contributing to a cause that was bigger than bigger than myself and i love that i love when someone sees a need you know speaking of being socially aware sees a need in society and doesn't just stop and and stare at it and move on but really digs in and dives in and makes a difference and does something about it oh and what's the i mean imagine the ripples of that i mean just you telling that story you not only impacted the cute child uh but it changed you 
It did. It really did. I mean, it, it, believe me, it, it took a lot of inspiration for me to run a 5K with a camera in my face on a Saturday morning at 7 a.m., but it was so worth it. And I was. I was so inspired and touched by the efforts of these great people. And they're everywhere. I think that's another thing is just looking for the positive in people because there is so much good out there. And yeah. often it's the negative that gets the attention and captures even the news headlines. But there is so much good going on out there. So many people, you know, working to make our society a better place and grateful for those types of people. I agree. And it seems like, too, in the news world, educate us on this. Um, um, we always hear about, hey, coming up, uh, we'll be showing you a picture of that cute little kitten that got stuck in the well. And then we wait. And then the next break, hey, coming up after this, we'll show you that cute little kitten that got stuck in the well. Mm-hmm. And eventually they show us the cute little kitten. But um, you end up teasing the audience with good stories. Absolutely. It's interesting. You break down kind of the science of TV and how shows are produced. And yes, as as a society, we're drawn to sometimes the sensationalistic, more negative stories because obviously they blow our minds. We think, did that really happen? How did that happen? But you're right. If you can play up a thread of positive in any show, in any newscast, it's a science. I mean, it really is a trickery of sorts because the human brain latches on to, and you've done a lot of research about this, and you could speak to this more than I could, but latches on to that positive light. Mm -hmm. And as long as it's there, people are going to not only reach for it, they're going to wait for it through a 30-minute newscast, you know, of headlines and and trauma and tragedy. And and it's worth holding on for. And there is more of that. And I think you're going to see a movement in television production in general toward these positive stories because there's a need to balance everything that really is out there. We don't need to see people beating up each other anymore. We've seen plenty of that. I mean, hello? Ricky and that's Lake? why YouTube no, has become show that so, was. so popular because people... Ricky Lake, did you just say Well, Ricky that's Lake? how old I am. But oh she's gosh. got a new show. You know, you it used well to be... You talking about Phil Donahue at this point. I, just well, I about back. dropped Phil, but I didn't think anyone would know who he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So speaking out the positive, kind of another way, I think, to improve the society. So giving a sincere compliment, rooting for the underdog, and seeking out and looking for the positive. Yeah, and I'll just throw one more idea out yeah. there. Again, I go back to my mom, but she was so good about putting it on our level. I remember a time when we were driving down the freeway, and there was a homeless individual on the side of the freeway holding a sign, begging for money and begging for a ride. And, you know, as a five, six-year-old, I don't remember exactly how old I was. That really didn't connect to my mind and right. my life. But I remember my mom turning around and saying, hey, do you remember when you lost your kitten, Coco, and you were so worried about you know, that Coco wasn't home and Coco didn't have milk. And, and remember how worried you were about that lost little kitten? I bet that's how that man feels. He's worried mm. about how he's going to eat and where he's going to sleep. And I think taking the opportunity to pause and put it on their level is another way to open up their minds to the needs that are out there. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I was so worried about my <laughs> kitten Coco. And I can't imagine, you know, and it yeah. sounds trivial as we say it now I as love adults. That. No, I love but that. But as a child, it was so impactful yeah. to think of that in a different way. See, I was, see I, you were a more mature kid. Because I would have thought, I would have thought, I wonder if he took Coco. Oh, I wonder if that man did that man take my, my cat? kitty cat? <laughs> hey, that is. Uh, by the way, so you, so we got him. Give sincere compliments. Root for the underdog. Look for the positive. Make it relate on their level. And of course, listen to your mom for crying out loud. I mean, let's that be the headline of this conversation. Shout out to Kathy Walker. She's pretty Kathy fantastic. Walker rocks <laughs> the world. You know what, Brooke? You're the best, and I hey, wish you all so the fun. best. You're going to be you on know, our I'm show fan. every couple of weeks. You're the only. Yes, you're one I of the only it. people I've ever let co-host or host this show when I was gone. I know it was such an honor and a privilege, and I was so glad when you came back. And so were the listeners. Because you didn't even they break it. You. You, you're a rock star. No. You are a rock star. Get I love the show. I'm a big fan of yours. So thanks for the Brooke. Chance. They got to yeah. go find you on Facebook, Brooke Walker on Facebook, right? That's right. She's the best, Brooke. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Again, what light?
We're trying to bring you the good. There's positive out there in the world. The goal of BYU Broadcasting is to let you see the good in the world. Folks, there's good in the world. And social responsibility is one way to get it. Being a good parent, like Brooke just explained, is another one. We're going to take a break. Come wrap up the show. I think we're playing a little bit of a game here at the very end. And uh, we are going to teach you a little bit about family mission statements. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Yeehaw! Wrapping up the show. The Matt Townsend hoedown music. It's not supposed to be a hoedown. It's supposed to be trendy and modern and... This is this is really cool. This is where the kazoo. Do you hear the kazoo? It's, I don't think that's where they. Oh, kazoo. those are the bees. The bees are coming in. I love our music. It's supposed to be the sound of now. Modern radio practices. Really, it's cutting a techno edge. hoedown. Techno hoedown. Because radio is very now, Rob. It yes, is. Yes, it is. Uh, we're talking social. Um, social responsibility, educating your children, teaching your family. One thing you hear a lot of people bring up is this concept of a mission statement, a family mission statement. And um, a lot of you may not know what that is, but that's where we kind of as a family put together uh, a statement, a mantra, a motto that we're going to live by. I think Some it's all you, bogus. It might be bogus. Some of you thought the motto was, get off your brother. That is not a mission statement. Leave your sister alone. Do I have to come up there? Those are all not mission statements, even though you use them every day. So um, our own Colonel Rob Sanders has been putting together some mission statements. Now, Rob, because you don't have a family, I guess you've been borrowing. (laughs) I mean, not you have a family. You don't have your own family as a parent that you'd put together your mission statement. Um, Well, Fortune 500 companies have. So you went and borrowed Fortune 500 company missions. Uh, They they are very successful. That's how they became Fortune 500. They have have a mission. And usually all the people in the family or the, the company would know the mission of the company. So, for instance, Pepsi would say, we sell high-quality beverages. I think that's their, their mission statement. That, hold on. That's their mission? Their is to sell high-quality high quality beverages and food products or something like that. I, I, can't, I don't have it off the top wow, of my head. Wow. That doesn't seem very motivating. Well, I mean, it, it seems like you'd want it to be more motivating. Changing the world one Pepsi at a time. You can adjust that, something like that. to say, we raise high-quality children. Okay. You see the Pepsis down the street? They raise high-quality children. Those Pepsis. <laughs> I think they're diets. <laughs> Did you see the diets down the street? That's okay. Okay, so you're trying, Rob, to give a mission statement from a corporation and turn it into a family mission statement. So well, sometimes they'll work. That one didn't seem to work to me. If it's good practice It sounds like you're a baby room, factory. It's good practice. <laughs> what was that? Say that again. <laughs> We raise high-quality children. Yeah, that's like a cattle farming. We raise high-quality cattle. Now, do, you, do you put that on a sign Ford, like on your front door? Okay, Ford. Ford has a great mission statement that I only had to add to a little tiny bit what? to make Let's it hear work. It. We are a global family with a proud heritage passionately committed to providing personal mobility to soccer practice for children in this family. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think it's working, Rob. I, I think it's not happening. How about Dell? I don't know. Let's see. To be the most successful family in the world at delivering the best family experience in markets we serve. 
Yeah, I think it might be best if you don't borrow someone's. Should we change the market good. to neighborhoods? How about to develop a wide range of innovative children that challenge the way the public accesses and enjoys our family and family's impact on the community by ensuring synergy between children within the family? We constantly strive to create exciting new worlds of entertainment that can be experienced by a variety of different children. I no, think I think that has that one, that one worked. That's how my that? family actually has done it. Yeah. We have a wide variety of innovative children. There's seven of us, all different. Innovating one child. Now, see that was that long one. Um, can't you just see a family gathered around and dad's like, "I got it, you guys. I got our mission statement. Here we go." To be the world's premier family, to that end, we must continuously achieve superior financial and budgeting results while adhering to the highest standards of family <laughs> conduct. Those unwavering expectations provide the foundation for our commitments to those with whom we interact. Wow. Adapted from Exxon. Uh, Not yeah, bad. Exxon, that didn't work so well. Um, but that's interesting. Okay, that's one way to do a mission statement. What you might want to do other than that – by the way, there's another one that's one of my favorite. We've used it on the show quite a bit. Ritz-Carlton has a mission statement that says, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen raising ladies future and gentlemen. ladies and gentlemen. See, even that's kind of motivating. Like, that's, that's cool. Okay. Should, should we come up with one right now for the Matt Townsend radio family? I've got it. What is it? Grande. <laughs> one word. Grande. So whatever you're doing in that, life, that make, sure you, make sure Actually, you do it grande. So grande. Yeah. So Matt, hey, so Matt, what do you think about what do you, what do you think the goals of the next show n- next year are? Grande. To keep Skylar awake. Ah, grande. Extra awake. I think you got to talk more to the heart. Okay, guess what? Guess what? I, my family has a mission statement and we say it every night together. It's pretty cool. Every you want to hear it? Every night we say it do as you, a family. Do you line up? Nope. We we have a little prayer time, so we have a little family prayer. And then after it, we say Townsend's are forever. Boom. Every one of my kids knows what it means. We're a family forever. What is a mission statement supposed to be? It's supposed to get us on the same page. Having goals, having dreams, lasting forever. Townsend's are forever. That's our goal. What's your goal with your family? A little challenge. Will you go home? Talk to your kids, for heaven's sake. Start teaching them to be socially responsible. Maybe more important than anything, just connect in. Tell them you love them and uh, tell them you want to be with them forever. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio right here on Sirius XM 143.